We continue to preach through 1 Corinthians, and the summary line that we have for our preaching series is that in Corinth, there was a messy church that was on a big mission. And what we mean by that is that the church in Corinth had lots of problems, but they also had lots of opportunities for the gospel and the name of Christ to be known in a pagan city. And so those things sort of go together, don't they? That we can, be, we can have troubles and struggles and still be on mission. And we just think of the things that we've covered so far is that there is disunity in following various leaders. Uh, there was uh, apparently pushback against Paul and against his apostolic leadership. There was sexual immorality. There were believers who were filing lawsuits against other believers. And then last week, we came to chapter 7, and it's sort of a turning point in the book. We weren't sure exactly what was behind those earlier chapters, but now we, we know that they had written Paul a letter, and in this letter, they had a series of questions or concerns, really, again, pushing back against him as an apostle, probably. Um, and the first thing on the list was, hey, we're, our Greek wisdom not the Bible, but our Greek wisdom says you'll be better off, you'll be more spiritual and holy if you're celibate. And so it looks like they were pushing celibacy in marriage. And so in the first half of this chapter, or the first portion of this chapter, Paul was addressing that. We went over that last week. And today we're going to finish out uh, the rest of that chapter. And what I want you to see is, is the core aspect of what we're talking about today The guiding theme in all of chapter 7 is this. Hey, Corinthians, I want you to love Jesus with all your heart. I don't want you to be entangled by anything that would distract you from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And what this gets at, the application, the applicatory line that we're going to take on this is haven't all of us And I would start with the youngest ones of us in elementary school. Haven't we all said at various times in various places, I'll be able to serve Christ more fully when? I'll be able to serve Christ more sincerely if. So as we enter into this text today, I want you to be thinking for yourself What are my whens and ifs? When my health is better? When I'm married? If I didn't have such an aggravating spouse? When my kids are grown? If my job wasn't so burdensome? if my finances weren't so tight? All these questions come to us, and really the the ruling principle of this text is, is that you can glorify and enjoy God as who you are and where you are right now today. You can glorify and enjoy God, who you are and where you are. Let's read this text together. It's a lengthy text, so wake up, and if you need to walk around in the back, you can. Um, I might call you out if you start to nod off. Um, uh, And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 17 through 40. 
This is the Apostle Paul. Only let each be the life that Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision nor counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when, you were, when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to, of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firm, firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well." So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Glorify God who you are and where you are in union with Christ. That's really the sum of the whole thing. And we want to get, begin by saying you can glorify and enjoy God with your own ethnic and cultural background as you are united to Jesus. You can glorify and enjoy God within your own ethnic and cultural background as you are united to Jesus. And he says this really clearly. He says, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned him to which God has called him. Look at verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Now, I want to call, to call out to you, I want to point out to you 
the use of the word calling. This is not about your job. It's not about your vocational track. This is a technical theological term that is the term Paul uses for you are dead in your trespasses and sins and your rebellion against God. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel came to you. And by the power of the Spirit and the power of the gospel, he raised you to life. He gave you a new heart. You were born again. You had a new mind. And immediately what happens is your mouth confesses that Jesus is Lord. Calling is a calling from death to life. So what he's saying here in kind of modern evangelical terms is keep the place that you were assigned when you got saved, when you believed on Christ, when you came to him. And and this really takes us back through the beginning of 1 Corinthians. He says, when you believed, you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You were cleansed. You were forgiven and declared righteous. You were declared to be holy in Christ. All these things are yours wherever you are. In your marriage, in your singleness, in all the things that he's saying here. But the specific focus that we want to have here today, or this first point, is he's saying if you were circumcised, don't try to remove the marks of circumcision. If you were uncircumcised, don't run out and get circumcised. And what he's really pointing to is this big ethnic national religious divide in that culture i mean it was the job of jewish people to hate and avoid gentiles and it was the sort of the job of gentiles to have an acrimonious attitude towards jews because who are you like self-righteous people you've got the only way who made you a judge over us so this is the ethnic national tension and so in america we tend to do this based on race but all over the world people just hate each other by tribe by clan you go to central and eastern europe all the people look the same but they divide up and we say you know we're going to hate the serbs and we're going to hate the whoever you know we're going to hate each other so what he's saying is wherever you were whichever group you found yourself in you can just stand up in that and serve christ that's that's the point here you can glorify and enjoy God by being united with Christ in your circumstances. So this week, I heard a very intriguing story. It was about a man and his wife who came from Kenya, completely different cultural setting, to America to study theology at a seminary. It was the man who was studying theology. And what became clear after some time was that this man was beating his wife which is, I mean, like not beating her a little bit, but beating her until she was obviously sort of deformed and had problems. So it became public knowledge. And this is a common thing that you run across in in tribal African settings. And so eventually uh, the seminary that he was going to dismissed him, and he ended up being sent out of the country, deported back to Kenya. If his wife had followed him, Uh, she would have died at the hands of the cultural keepers in her village. So she remained here in America. So now what do you have here? You have uh, a black African woman going to a seminary in the South with no means of support, completely left alone, essentially. So what is she supposed to do? Try to fully assimilate into the culture? Try to be 
you know, erase her heritage and how she got there? Well, no. What do is she can say, by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, my sins are forgiven. I've been declared righteous in Christ. I'm a daughter of God. Let me stand up and know Christ where I am in the circumstances that he's given me. And she was able actually to finish a seminary degree. And then she went on to have a fruitful ministry, not some big ministry that has a label or anything like that, but she simply began to reach out to and share the gospel with African immigrants. And that's that's the picture that that you have in, in this text. And so we want to sort of bring that down a little bit and say, are you comfortable in your own skin? Who you are, your family heritage, your ethnicity, your nationality. You see, these things are taken up in Christ. And what the Bible pronounces about them is that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor racial or, or ethnic diversities. Everyone then is, is lifted up in Christ to be a servant of the living God and to bear his image and to do that with joy. Now, on this who you are thing, you can really press down on this. Somebody told you you have ADHD. Somebody told you that your IQ was below the average. Somebody told you that you're not fast or strong or whatever it was. This is sort of who you are. You have a certain personality structure. Well, well, what this text is saying is you don't have to run away from all this. You can give it all to the risen Christ and let him live out his life within you as you are. Another way to say this is that this text really deals a death blow to coveting. One of the things in my own pastoral ministry that I've, that I've discerned over time, especially with men, is that, that people who often struggle with same-sex attraction, some of the roots of that are in coveting. I see another man who looks manly more so than I feel or that I think subjectively, and I want to be like that. And so this, this whole thing really goes far and wide. And then there, there's another aspect to this, and that is that it also deals a, a death blow to racial vainglory or pride and animus. And so let me not use big words. This deals a death blow to racial, national, ethnic pride in who I am or disdain for who other people are. And this is, this is, we'll see later the roots of the abolition of child slavery and all kinds of things. But what we want to say is, how are you doing on your prejudice? I'll just make a really brief comment. You know, if you have a big lift truck, and, and maybe some of you do, if you have a big lift truck, I'm not hating you, and it's camo colored, you wrapped it in camo, and it has, you know, a big deer head on the back or whatever in the back window, and, and, you know, people used to have gun racks. They don't have that anymore. You're inviting people to look at you in a certain way, right? And you got to own that. But as the person who's looking at the truck, I really need to really be circumspect, don't I? Don't I? Somebody said, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. And that's true across racial lines. That's true across national lines. 
And see, I'm really free to talk about skin color and stuff like this because I was in Africa with people who are really super shiny black. I'm talking like black, like shoe polish, right? And I, and I love them. And, and so when you say that person's black, I go, no, they're kind of like tan brown. And then if you look out broadly, what I've discovered over time is there's a vast majority of the population of the earth that you can't tell where they came from. They have olive skin, dark hair, and dark eyes. Right? Isn't that true? So just why don't we stop it? <laughs> just stop it. Yeah. So we're sinners, right? So get in the fight and fight. You know, do, do, do the fight thing. Okay, so that's the application. You can serve Christ, who you are, in all the, the stuff you bring to that. Nationality, ethnicity, IQ, personality structure, everything. And you can glorify and enjoy God in that place. Isn't that what this is saying? Now, you can only do that if you're called. So you have to answer the question for yourself. Have you been raised to life in Christ? Are you joined to him? Is he your righteousness in your life? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Did you see the Holy Spirit in your life this week to, to move you towards repentance and faith? Is there anything different? Is there anything different about your life today than last Sunday because the Holy Spirit was speaking to you through the word? Those are the questions that we have to ask. Well, if that's true, then you're called to a new life in Christ and you can say, I'll walk with him just who I am. So he invites you today to believe that. The second thing that we want to say today is that this text tells us to glorify and enjoy God no matter what your societal or economic circumstances are as you are united with Christ. When you're united with Christ, you don't, you don't have to worry about your societal or economic circumstances. You can glorify and enjoy God in that place. And that's what he says next. He says, uh, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. And this, this brings you right back to if you're united with Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, you can keep the command of God to love, love your neighbor and to love God. Not perfectly, but you can do it from the heart. And then he says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Same thing we're talking about. Were you a bondservant? So let's pause for a second and talk about bondservant. This is the, the gr Greek word really that's normally considered slave. And I watched the committee. There's a video of the ESV committee. Uh, some of these guys were my professors and stuff. Voting on whether to translate this bondservant or slave. And you may have read some of that literature before. And I think the vote, you know, it was a mixed vote. It was like maybe seven to three or it probably wasn't an even number, six to three, something like that. They had a long discussion about it. And the reason for that is what we in the West associate with slavery is always the chattel slavery of a couple of centuries ago that, that fell along racial lines. But Roman slavery was different from that. Now, it was a horrible thing in some cases, but in other cases, for many people, it was because they had sold themselves to another person to pay off a debt. And then they got paid for their work. And then they were able to actually buy their freedom back. It wasn't like a permanent sentence of slavery. And, and in addition to that, a lot of people were freed uh, in their 30s because they were a burden to take care of as they aged for the, the person who owned them. So 
this idea of, of being a bond servant is sort of like what we used to have in America called being an indentured servant. You're assigned to somebody, you serve them, but you get paid for your work. All right, I'm just going to leave that. In any case, you can see that it restricts your freedom. Were you a bond servant when you were called? Don't be concerned about that. Hey, here's this principle. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourselves of the opportunity. Here are the roots of the abolition of chattel slavery in America. And you see the principle coming out again. Follow Christ. Be as free as you possibly can to follow Jesus. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he's called as a bondservant of Christ. So this is pretty clearly saying it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic circumstances were when you were called. Don't run away. If you're, if you're a bondservant, if you run away, then you're going to be a fugitive. How is that going to help you serve Christ? But if you can be free, great. Avail yourself to, of that opportunity. That's the principle behind this. And as I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of um, illustrations that don't raise you know, all kinds of emotions and things for us uh, so that we can think clearly about it. And I was thinking about in India, there is the kind of lowest caste that used to be called untouchables. And so India, the Hindu culture had a caste system and the Brahmin were at the top, and they considered the untouchables the people at the bottom. And you were simply born into this. There was nothing you could do about it. Uh, they, were, they were polluted. They were dirty. They were impure. You wouldn't even touch them. Now, in modern times, people didn't like that. They saw it as pejorative. And so they started calling them the, the Dalit, and that means uh, people who are oppressed. But let me just give you a little bit of information about the Dalit. There's 200 million in, in India. It's a lot of people. And to this day, uh, probably half of them work in picking up garbage and scavenging through garbage to get their livelihood. Um, they are persecuted. They're not allowed into social functions and whatnot. Um, and if you then become a believer in Christ and you're a Dalit, you have, talk about intersectionality, you have persecution from coming from all directions. So your, your Dalit neighbors who are Hindu are going to persecute you. Uh, the Muslim Dalit are going to persecute you. And then the general uh, Hindu population uh, with a resurgence of Hindu nationalism are going to persecute you. So I think I've talked enough about this to say you get the point in terms of a socioeconomic place, the Dalits have it hard. So I, in the course of my studies this week, I found an interview with a lady named Rashmi. And Rashmi is a Dalit from the Bajpuri uh, section. And Rashmi came to faith in Christ when her son, who was then an adult, was four, year, four years old. He was very sick and the believers prayed for him and he was healed. And she said, you know, out of all this big pantheon of gods in Hinduism, the one who healed my son is Jesus. So I'm going to follow Jesus. So in this interview, they, they were asking her, what do you mean by that? What is the sincere follower of Christ trying to see? What do you understand about knowing Christ? And she gave like great answers to this. You know, a true follower of Christ doesn't go around to all the different temples and shop themselves around. They just follow Jesus. They know him. And the interviewer uh, got to a place where he said, um, what do you think about 
people referring to you as Dalit or oppressed. And this guy's theological position, I think, prevented him from exploring this. So she gave a brief answer, and then he went off on other things. But listen to her answer. What do you think about being called oppressed? Aren't we all oppressed? I think she really, really understands the gospel. Now, he didn't elaborate on that. But she was in the worst socioeconomic position that you can possibly be in. But she was able to look out for the Brahmin and us and everybody else and and to say, don't we all need a savior from sin and misery? And my economic situation is really secondary to that. So we, we want to take this up and think about it. You would say, isn't it good for somebody to work to alleviate the, the, the oppression of the Dalit? Isn't it? Of course it is. If you had a chance to be more free and have more resources to serve Christ, wouldn't you take them? Of course you would. It's right here in the text. But at the same time, many people don't have that option, and they don't have to spend their life pining away and coveting for things they don't have. And that's true for them. And it's true for us with all of our affluence. With all of our affluence, this really gets down to it. Are you going to pine away and think, if I only had a different education or a different job or a different spouse or different children or children and no children, what what is it where you say, if only, I wish I had? And then to bring all those desires and wishes to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I have the key resource that I need, which is the Holy Spirit, bringing your presence in my life. And I can glorify and enjoy you right here in the place where I was planted. And I just have to give a caveat about this because we Westerners, we're, we're a strange bunch, and I include my in this and all of you. When we think about glorifying and enjoying God and having a significant ministry, uh, automatically we go to things like uh, Samaritan's Purse. Those of you who don't know what Samaritan's Purse is, like Franklin Graham, they're up in Boone, North Carolina, and they have a zillion dollar budget. That was an exaggeration. They have a big budget. They go to Africa. They'll fly anywhere. They got jets and doctors and all kinds of stuff. They can just do anything. And so when we think about having a fruitful ministry, we, we often think big like that. And what I want to say today is that in union with Christ, you can simply love God in your heart and mind where you are. And then... Somebody's going to come into your field of vision and you can love that person, right? So for some of us, we could just start at home, couldn't we? In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in those places. And we just challenge each other to say, what's my if only? Does the risen Christ have enough resources for you to love God and to love your neighbor, no matter where you are. So the last thing that we want to move on to, and we'll, be, <laughs> we'll try to be brief about this, it covers a big chunk of the passage, is I want to talk about the issue of freedom, that you can glorify and enjoy God as you see yourself and act 
as a free servant of Christ. There's a big theme in here about freedom. So I'm going to run you through this. Uh, there's talk about betrothed and all these things, and I'm going to try to tie it up tight before everybody falls asleep. If you need to walk around in the back, you can. Um, he, he starts off on this thing about being betrothed, but his real principle sticks that he wants you to have a devotion to Jesus. And he says, hey, the time is short. Jesus is coming back. The time, our lives are short. Can you have an urgency about casting off everything that entangles so that you can have a pure and sincere devotion to Christ? And he says that down at the bottom of this paragraph on 13. And then you see at the top of page 14 in verse 31, at the end he says, For the present form of this world is passing away. The present form of this world is passing away. And now he's including everything both good and bad, not just worldly things that you would put under worldly, but he's saying our marriage relationships, everything. This world is passing away. So in those contexts, be, be urgent about serving Christ. And then verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. I want you to be free to give your whole devotion to Christ. And that's what he comes to at the bottom of verse 35. In the last half of the compound sentence after and, it says, he wants to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, let me just sort of go through quickly what he talks about. This whole issue of being betrothed, the actual Greek word is virgins, but it should be translated betrothed. Your people who aren't married yet, uh, you, you haven't come together, and they refer to those as, as virgins. Um, you're betrothed. So in our modern parlance, what I want you to think about is uh, you, your daughter, your son, you've already laid out $15,000 non-refundable for the venue for the wedding. All right? And everybody's made promises. Rings have been exchanged. Everything's down with, with getting married. And now the, the super spiritual Greek people come along and go, whoa, if you know Christ and you really want to be spiritual, you should be celibate. You know that's a lie, right? Paul's been at, at, at pains to say here, marriage is a good thing. Marriage is okay. Um, and then on the other side of the coin on your conscience, you've got, wow, we've laid out all this money. Don't I have to go through with this? Anybody ever think that? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Sometime after the engagement ring, you go, hmm, hmm. So the, the conclusion of this for Paul is you're a free servant of Jesus Christ. And verse 37 really does the job on this. He goes, whoever is firmly established in his heart, you're firmly, you've, you've prayed, you've stood before the Lord, you're firmly established in your heart. You're under no necessity. You're not caving in to pressure from family members or anybody else. You've got your desires under control. You're not going to, using the, the language of the, the prior part of the chapter, you're not burning with lust. And now again, you've determined in your own heart, and it says to keep her as his betrothed. Uh, this doesn't mean to keep somebody in a, in a permanent state of engagement or betrothal. It really means you're leaving her to keep her as she is, as a virgin, as unmarried. If you want to walk away from this, you can he will do well. 
So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Paul's totally non-legalistic about this. He's saying, I want you to be free to serve Christ. If that means being married, then by all means, get married quick. (laughs) Hurry up about it. And then if, if, if you can serve Christ better single, then go serve Christ single. That really is the principle behind the whole thing. And what we're emphasizing here is the freedom. I'm going to try to slow down a little bit. What we're emphasizing here is the freedom that a believer in Christ has to open the Scripture in the context of fellowship with other people and say, I am going to walk with a clear conscience, and I'm not letting anybody else dictate to me what obedience to Christ looks like. And you know, I qualify that. You're in a church. You've got people around you. You need to listen to people and everything. But you are free. So let me just give you an illustration, really, of what this looks like that I want to commend to you. And it's in the sermon questions for, for those of you who are in groups. Think about Jesus. Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate really wants to let him go. You know, his, his wife's already said, I had a bad dream about this guy. I don't have anything to do with him. So he brings Jesus out and he says to the Jewish leaders, hey, I want to let this guy go. And the Jewish leaders go, oh, according to our law, you can't do that because he claimed to be the son of God and he has to be put to death. And so Pilate hears, oh, you claim to be the son of God. So he takes Jesus back off the balcony or wherever it was into the inner room and says, hey, who are you? Where where are you from? Tell me about yourself. And Jesus, as the free son of God, refuses to answer him. And Pilate says, don't you understand that I have authority either to crucify you or to set you free? And what does Jesus say? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you. Do you see this? in exactly the constraints of his circumstances facing death, he's free to say, I'm following my Father's will, come what may. I don't have to answer you. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to try to wiggle out of this. I'm free. And do you see, if you aren't afraid of dying, and I wish, I wish this could be true, um, now, I was in a situation once where there was a reasonable prob- probability of dying. I didn't realize that at the time, but only later on that I realized that. And it was actually later on in the retrospective that you get really fearful. <laughs> and you go, well, man, I, you know, that was a really bad, that was a bad situation uh, that we were in. But if you come to the place and you say, go ahead and kill me. Have a bad opinion of me exclude me, whatever, I stand, here I stand, as Luther said, as a servant of my Father, united with Christ. I have the very Spirit of Christ. This is what you want to be preaching to yourself. The same Spirit that enabled Jesus not to wiggle or defend himself, who's able to say, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you, is the Spirit that resides in the believer. You have power to do exactly that thing. So, what about for you? Are you called by God 
Born again, you have the Spirit. Are you a free servant of Christ? Can you be in a marriage where you folks are at odds with each other, like bitterly at odds? And you say, I'm a free servant of Christ. I can love this person even if they don't love me back. This is, the, this is where God has placed me. In your workplace, in your job, with your children, in your neighborhood, everything about it. You have power. Those of you who are in Christ, you have power to walk in freedom, to glorify and enjoy God as who you are and where you are today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we, we ask you that you would work powerfully in us individually and as a church. Lord, how badly we need your renewing power in our lives to simply look at every task and circumstance and to say, I'm a free servant of Jesus. I can glorify and enjoy him right here. Lord, help us. Help us. Forgive us. Cleanse us. And Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and upon our neighborhoods and workplaces that this joy, this joy of freedom might be given to others. Lord, glorify your name. Make yourself known, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.